Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Welcome to session seven of Momentum. When I read about being pure in heart, my first reaction is, that doesn't sound like me. And I suspect that you may have the same reaction as well. But you know, Christ didn't speak these Beatitudes to mock us. The great Redeemer comes with this wonderful promise despite all the baggage that sinful habits leave in your thoughts and your feelings and your desires, you can become pure in heart. You can be so completely forgiven, washed and cleansed, that when you see God, instead of shrinking back into an everlasting hell, you will move forward into the embrace of His everlasting love. Let's begin by clearing away a common misconception. Purity of heart does not mean sinlessness of life. If it did, nobody would ever be pure in heart and no one would ever see God. Christians in this life are always sinners in the process of recovery. We can grow and make progress, but none of us ever becomes all that God calls us to be in this life. Scripture is very clear on this. If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So purity of heart does not mean that you never have a bad thought. And that probably comes as a relief to you as it does to me. So what is purity of heart? Well, there are two answers to this question. The first is that a pure heart is an undivided heart. You see this in James chapter four and verse eight, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard picked up on this when he said, purity of heart is to will one thing. And the Apostle Paul gives us a marvelous picture of purity of heart when he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Purity of heart is not perfection. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Purity of heart is to will one thing, one thing I do, I press on to take hold of the high calling for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. So when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's saying, blessed is the person whose heart is undivided. There's a great prayer for purity in the book of Psalms. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Picture an Olympic sprinter laser-focused on the tape as he charges down the track. He doesn't even glance to the left or the right because he knows that the slightest movement will cost him that fraction of a second that could prove vital. So his eyes are focused. The entire capacity of his mind and his body is fully aligned in the pursuit of a single goal. So a pure heart 
is an undivided heart. But then a pure heart is a heart that is washed clean. And here is a marvelous truth that we need to get hold of. Jesus Christ is able to wash the heart that has been messed up by greed or lust or pride or any other sin, habit, or compulsion that you may care to name. Now, I've met many people over the years who would say that they believe in a Christ who forgives, but they struggle to believe in a Christ who cleanses. Come with me and sit with me in my office as we try to help a man who feels completely overwhelmed by the power of his past sins. There's a sadness in his eyes as he comes in and as he takes his seat beside us. After a few moments of introduction and a prayer for the Lord's help, I ask him why he's come and how we can be useful to him. He leans forward and he begins to speak. Pastor, he says, I've got baggage. Over the years, I've seen things I wish I'd never seen, and I, I've done things that I wish I'd never done. Now my thinking and my feeling and my desiring, they're all messed up. Patterns of twisted thinking have led to patterns of compulsive behavior, and I can't get free. These things are in me, pastor, he says. I know that God forgives me, but I can't imagine ever being clean. There's just too much baggage. Now, how are we going to help this person? Well, I think that the place to begin is by helping him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he'll say that he does believe in Jesus. He will say that he's a Christian, that he has been for many years, and I don't doubt that, but listen carefully to what he's saying. He believes that God can forgive him, but he can't imagine ever being clean. Now, our privilege in this conversation will be to point him to the Christ who not only forgives, but also cleanses, and to help him see the ability of Christ to wash his mind, his heart, making him clean. So we say to him, as long as you persist in believing that nothing can be done about the baggage in your mind and in your heart, you don't yet know the Christ of the Bible who washes and cleanses and purifies messed up human minds and hearts. You may say that you believe in a Jesus who forgives, but if you persist in this deeply held conviction that nothing can be done about the accumulated twistedness that has come from your past decisions and behaviors, well, you're not yet trusting the Savior who came not only to forgive your sins, but also to wash your heart and to cleanse your life. Now, hope will begin for you when you trust this Savior to cleanse your heart. Well, he's listening now. But if the truth is to settle in his mind, he needs to see it clearly in the Scripture. So we would do well to turn to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, where we read that God saves us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Christ saves us by washing. He washes your mind and regenerates your heart. That means he can give you new affections, new interests, new inclinations, and new energy, so that over time, you will find yourself hating the sin that you used to love. As Christ washes your heart, you will gain a fresh love for him, a 
new interest in his word and in his people and in his service. The thoughts of your mind and the affections of your heart will begin to change as Christ washes your soul. And over time, the sins that once held you in their grip, they're going to lose their power over you. Your defeats and your failures will be less and strengthen your battle against temptation while that will become more. Now, if trusting Christ to cleanse you seems further away than you're able to stretch right now, I want to give you a stepping stone that will help you to move forward. See, the beginning of faith is to say, if I was in Christ and he was in me, I believe that he could make this heart clean. Christ changed the violent and blasphemous heart of Saul of Tarsus, making him a completely different person. Now, if he could do that for him, he could do the same for you. So settle this truth in your mind. My heart could be made clean. And I believe that if I was in Christ and if he was in me, he could make me clean. Now, once you're on this stepping stone, you will be ready to take the next step and to ask him to do this for you. I've identified seven practices that promote purity of heart. So let's take a look at three of them together. The first is listening or the practice of immersing yourself in the Word of God. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the Word. So Christ washes his people with the Word. So Scripture is as essential to your pursuit of purity as water is to washing. When Christ prayed for his disciples, he said to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And when David asked the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? The answer was, by guarding it according to your word. Now, over many years as a pastor, I've noticed this consistent pattern. The people whose lives have significantly changed are like sponges absorbing the Word of God. They hide the Scripture in their hearts, and it has a purifying effect on their lives. The entrance of God's Word gives light, and when people make little or no progress, I've often found that there has been little entrance of the Word of God into their lives. So in going after purity, I encourage you to immerse yourself in the Scriptures, knowing that the Word of God will have a cleansing effect in your life. Seize every opportunity for this. When you hear the Word preached, ask God to use it for the cleansing of your soul, and listen expectantly, applying what you hear as you believe what God says and as you obey what He commands. Over time, the cumulative effect of immersing yourself in God's Word will be like the effect of soapy water on dirty clothes in a washing machine. As the machine agitates, the stain is slowly and gradually and increasingly loosened from the fabric. Well, over time, the Word of God received and believed and obeyed in your life will have the same cleansing effect even on the toughest stains in your soul. Second, worshipping. That's the practice of gazing on the glory of God. 
Now, when Paul describes a person who is being transformed, he tells us that this happens as he or she beholds the glory of the Lord. We all, he says, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, notice that the apostle writes in the present tense, and he speaks of an ongoing process of change that happens in the lives of Christian believers as we worship. Now, the principle is simple. The more you see the glory of Christ, the more you will be transformed into his likeness. See, worship is much more than attending a service at church on a Sunday. It's the gaze of the soul on the greatness and the glory of God. And Paul tells us that beholding the glory of the Lord has a transforming effect in the life of a Christian believer. Now, if you're struggling with an addiction or a behavior that has become habitual, compulsive, ask yourself, how did I get here? How did this thing gain such a power in my life? And here's the answer. You made an idol of this thing, and you set your affection on the idol. You went to the idol for comfort, and you looked to it for happiness. You worshipped your way into this addiction. Now, how are you going to get free from the power of this idol? Well, you worshipped your way in, and now you must worship your way out. And you do that as you practice gazing on the glory of God in worship. Now, third, persevering. The practice of getting up when you have fallen down. The prophecy of Micah has these wonderful words. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Nobody makes uninterrupted progress on the path of purity. When you set yourself to battle against sins that have held sway in your heart, you will stumble and fall. The people who make progress in the Christian life are the ones who follow the exhortation of Micah and get up after they have fallen down. The battle for purity is a long warfare. It's a marathon rather than a sprint and perseverance is a key to success. Every time you say yes to a sin, you increase its power in your life, making your next temptation harder. But every time you say no to a sin, you actually weaken its power and you make your own position in the fight against it stronger. So think of your pursuit of purity in terms of a game of football. In any game, there will be times when you're on offense and times when you're on defense. Well, when sin breaks through your defenses and scores a touchdown, you don't leave the field. This is not the time to quit. It's time for you to begin a new drive against sin in your life. So move the ball forward and don't ever give up. You know, some people have the idea that purity is something that you have when you're young and that you lose it if you mess up. But in the Bible, purity is not something that you lose. It's something that you gain as you grow in the Christian life. So go after purity and be intentional about your pursuit of a clean and an undivided heart.